is our new podcast where we talk about pesticides and yep, infestation. Yep, uh, the brown recluse, one of the most <laughs> famous poisonous spiders. Have you ever seen one before? No, because up until a couple of years ago, they didn't exist in Michigan at yeah, all. Right. Um, but with this whole global warming, uh, look, I did quotations. Yeah. With this global warming, well, we don't issue. want to upset any of our listeners on either side. We're just anything's up for debate. Global warming <laughs> is real, ladies and gentlemen. But it could also be fake. See? <laughs> That's how we'd play it. Now, no one will get mad at us. <laughs> Somebody was about to write something, and then I came in. <laughs> yep, calm down. Uh, don't add us on Twitter. Uh, but no, uh, the brown recluse. It, can only live in warm environments oh. and so it's actually gotten warm enough in the winters in michigan for them to be able to live a little longer yeah so there's sporadic little nests but you're south enough where you know you might enjoy the brown recluse here and there oh so it's like living where i am it just hasn't got to where you are as much yet is what you're saying yeah, it's not Beautiful. very stable, yeah. but you, you've got a little warmer temperatures year-round. It still gets cold. I haven't seen them any, but... anywhere. Oh, wait. <laughs> there it is. It's like knocking on the door. <laughs> Get out of here. Just one of its arms. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I like that. Though. He has a little suitcase. Yeah. No! Yeah. Get out of here! I said no! Anyway. Uh, ridiculous. Anyway, welcome everyone to Aaron and Justin Talk Sequels, our sequels podcast, because we're really cool. And we are well talking said. about the, what's the name of the trilogy? The Mexico Trilogy? Uh, yeah, Mexico, Robert Rodriguez's Mexico Trilogy, yeah, which isn't really that? creative at all. No. Because no, when you said that, I, I was like, no, that, that can't be what it's called. It's got to be something cooler <laughs> than that. Um, it consists of El Mariachi, which I had never seen until last night. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. It was really nice to get to know this movie. Yep. And then Desperado, which all teenage boys in the 90s watched religiously. Absolutely. Because Sama Hayek is one of the most beautiful women ever born. Yep. Um, and then it ends with 2003's Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit more of a wild ride. Yeah. Um, so, Robert Rodriguez <laughs> might be the, what's the word for ultimate? The penultimate uh, mm. sequel director. This man, I don't think he's as concerned about sequels as storytelling. I, that's what he feels like to be as a storyteller. And he likes to spend... A lot of movies telling them. So I've got an unofficial count. If we ignore his group directing efforts, so you're saying he's he doesn't necessarily make. You're not saying he's like makes the best sequels, and uh, just that he's a sequel maker. He is like a sequel other. maker. <laughs> um, so if you exclude <laughs> his group efforts, like Four Rooms and uh, Grindhouse. Mm -hmm. um, he has made 11 original movies. Okay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Every other movie that he's directed, and he's directed close to 20, every other movie has been a sequel. So about nine sequels. Yeah, it's insane. Can you insane. name them? Because it seems crazy to me that that's true. What do we yeah. got? 
Okay, so we have El Mariachi as his first movie. And then he does a TV movie, which I'm going to just put in the doesn't count category. If we're going to be strict Here's filmmaking. the thing, though. This is what I wanted to talk about, too. Road Racers. Yeah. you got to see that movie. Really? It's so good. It's uh, like a greaser film, so it's about leather jackets, fast cars, slick black hair. It's, um, uh, who was, uh, Arquette? What's, who's, our, who's the lead? David? David Arquette stars with Salma Hayek in Road Racers. He's yeah, looking really at the good. image, and that's insane. Yeah. I, he's cool in it, though. And, um, John Hawks is in it, who, uh, would become known later with that Jennifer Lawrence film, uh, Winner's Bone, and that he won an Academy Award for, I believe. But I don't no, know anything he did between Road Racers and that movie where he wins an Academy Award. I think he won an Academy Award for it. But he's this awesome actor, and here he is with David Arquette in this Road Racers movie. Anyway, so it's a TV movie for like Showtime, but it was what he, it was like the first thing he was hired to do after he made El Mariachi. Well, yeah, it's yeah. the next thing he does, yeah. But we could certainly talk about it later. But it's a good film. I really, really liked it. All right, well, for anyway. the sake of this argument, does not count. Does not count. And may check it out someday. His next feature <clears throat> film is Desperado, <clears throat> which comes out in 95. And then he's does his group work with Tarantino in four rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have From Dust Till Dawn. And then we have The Faculty. Yep. So a really strong first one, two, three, four, five, four films, if we don't count four rooms. Yeah, and I think it was kind of a fun, eclectic first decade of filmmaking, too. You know, he was doing some different stuff there. You could oh. consider Desperado and Destadon similar, but The Road Racers and Faculty are definitely pretty out there yeah, compared and to what he was doing. This is one of the only real big segments until he gets a little older where he takes on other people's work. He didn't write From Dust Till Dawn, Tarantino did. Right. He didn't write Faculty. Although he supposedly had his own story for Dust Till Dawn. Like, he had a story about... I'm not sure who had what, and maybe this is all just rumor, but he had a story about... Rodriguez had a story about Mexican vampires... And Tarantino had a story about two bandits on the run in Mexico or something like that. So they put them together. But it could be uh, the opposite. Like they both, Tarantino had the bandit story, Rodriguez had a vampire story, and they put it together. Or that never happened. But that's how I always heard it. Well, like his relationship <clears throat> with Quentin Tarantino is weird hmm. because it's definitely at some point between El Mariachi and Desperado. Where these two obviously meet. I think they met f- at Cannes Film Festival, uh, or they met in some sort of film festival situation. I think that's where they got to know each other. But they were also heavily marketed as check out these two new young filmmakers. So I think they were like forced to meet each other. And Kevin Smith is thrown in there too, you know? Well, I know, but at some point between El Mariachi and Desperado, not only does he meet Quentin Tarantino, but Quentin Tarantino also in, introduces him to uh, Satan. And he makes the same deal with Satan that Tarantino made. Because the style and tone is so different between El Mariachi and Desperado. Yeah. And we'll get into it yeah. when we touch on Desperado. But I hear. I hear you. I think solo Tarantino... screenwriting credit. 
Tarantino is such a guys. presence, you know? I think he is in your face, and he's probably like, Hi, I'm Quentin Tarantino. Do you like kung fu movies? Do you like old spaghetti western movies? Let's watch them together, and then you'll love them, and then we'll make B-movies together for our whole lives. But they're, they're going to be B-movies, but people will give us tons of money, so all of a sudden they'll be A-movies, a and we'll put them out in theaters. And you're just like, okay, okay, Jesus, okay, fine, I'll do it. That's what Tarantino seems like to me. So I, I'm with you in that Rodriguez was his own style filmmaker with El Mariachi. He meets Tarantino. Now all of a sudden he's making bloody B-movie. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, just... Kung Fu films. The scripting is like this weird amalgamation of mm. the two. Um, after the faculty, he executive produces the two Dust Till Dawn directed movie sequels i think he wrote or did the story for the third one as well story credit for the okay. third one yeah so we're already done with the 90s so he has made those four movies and then we have spy kids mm -hmm. and then spy kids 2 mm -hmm. and then spy kids 3 yeah like he's all in on the kid stuff and no, then he I goes remember, back i think seeing spy kids or at least most of it but did not interest me you know? Never saw any of them. But I was cool where I was just like, all right, I mean, you know, you want to make movies for your kids and stuff. That's fun, you know. But he just kind of went all in <laughs> on the he kids did. stuff. So it kind of turned me off, at least. And so that was my point of, like, becoming a film lover and I'm a young teen, you know, and, and also, like, early 20s. So I didn't want to see Antonio Banderas with short hair as, like, a nerdy scientist father, I think, is what he plays in that movie. Right, didn't, didn't I have really no care. idea, and I would, I probably will never watch it. Or he's but... the villain, I can't remember who he is, but whatever. So the sequel to Desperado, the Once Upon a Time in Mexico, seems like it happens so much later, like it's an afterthought. Yeah. But if you look at his filmography, he has only made three original movies in that time before he revisits Once Upon a, or the sequel. Yeah, that's only been and ten so years, right? It maybe was less, eight, years. Maybe eight years. Yeah, so it yeah. wasn't that long. But yeah, it not felt that like long forever, at all. though. And then he follows it up with Sin City. But you could also consider that a group effort because he directed that with Frank Miller and the sequel. You know? I'm just saying. People say <laughs> the concept of how involved Frank Miller was with the first one is up for discussion. Okay. Um, this goes back to uh, him leaving the Director's Guild yeah, of America. Yeah, because he wanted to share credit with Miller. And, and would have let him, let so him because like, I'm doing my own thing. But if Miller had actually co-directed that movie, they would have let him. It was more of a credit thing because Miller was the inventor of the series. Yeah, I see. I feel like he was probably the number one consultant on that film. And I think oh, that yeah. Rodriguez, just looking at his work with Carlos Gallardo, who played the original Mariachi, he keeps people in the family, and I think he's big on credit, and he and he loves to give people the credit that's due them, you know? So I think that was cool with Miller. He uh, absolutely keeps people in the family. Yeah. Um, his next effort is The Adventures of Sharkboy and Lava Girl. And I had to do a little research to Never make sure this that. wasn't a Spy Kids tie-in. I thought it was a direct-to-DVD thing, and somebody had the same name as Rodriguez, and they were trying to, like, think, make you think it was a Spy Kids thing, and I was like, no, that's actually him. Wow, okay. The Adventure of, of Sharkboy and Lava Girl is based on an idea from his kid. Okay. Who gets a screenwriting credit 
for the movie, and he was like 11, I think. There you go. Keeping him in the family. And then we have Grindhouse. And then what the hell is Shorts? That's like Shark Boy Lob Girl thing. It was just another kid fair. I don't know. It's about a magical rock or something. Yeah, not well received. No. Um, and then we have Machete, which this could have gone anywhere because there's a couple machetes in here. At first, I thought maybe this was a spinoff from uh, Desperado. Yeah. And then I thought maybe this is a spinoff from uh, some other adult fair, but no, it's a spinoff from Spy Kids. Uh, explain. Machete and yeah. the sequel Machete Kills is a character, or he plays the same character he played in Spy Kids. Well, I always understood it as he made a feature film out of the trailer Machete that he made for the Grindhouse series. I mean, that's not what... Uh... Now, you may be right in that the character originated in Spy Kids, but then he made a trailer for the Machete movie that aired between his movie and Tarantino's film in Grindhouse. Machete was one of them. Eli Roth made a Thanksgiving horror film trailer. And then there was another one with Nicolas Cage's Fu Manchu or something like that. Have you ever ever see those trailers? They're pretty fun. Just a, a jokey trailers that were never supposed to be taken seriously, but everybody thought the Machete thing was looked so awesome that he ended up making the movie. Isidore Cortez, also known as Machete, is a fictional character in the Spy Kids films, okay. the Grindhouse fake trailer, yeah. and the Machete films. That's awesome. So, wait, that. where where did it start? Well, <clears throat> well, it would have to be Spy Kids then, because that yeah, came before Grindhouse. Yeah, Grind, Spy Kids was 2001. Right. Grind, Grindhouse was... That's funny, I didn't know. That's what we get for not watching Spy Kids. we got to watch more Spy Kids in our lives. was 2010. <laughs> um, What's uh, his name? Danny... Who plays... Trejo. Dane Trejo. He, um, Who is his cousin. Yeah. He is always machete. I mean, I've rarely seen him as any other character. So you could think he was that character in Desperado. Or you could think he was that character in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. You know? That's where the might as well be machete. definitely was. Yeah. Um, and then we have another Spy Kids movie in yep. 2011. And then we have another machete movie. Yeah. Which I heard was another... just God awful but i never saw it i saw the first oh, I machete imagine. i thought it was fun but kind of dumb and then we have another sin city movie mm-hmm. and also, then i heard wasn't um well received yeah I, I think most people just were very critical of the time it came out they just felt it was too late for a sequel nobody cared but yeah. i think that's kind of unfair but you know what do i know and then doesn't do another movie until 2019 when he makes alita Alita. Battle Angel. Did you see what it? What are your thoughts on Alita Battle Angel? Did you see Angel? it? I have seen it. I saw it too. Um, perfectly fine, but forgettable. Ugh. Don't care at all. I love that movie. Really? People so seem to really much. like it, but I feel like you had to be a fan of the source material or something. I saw it and I was just like, alright. I mean, it's not bad, but... It... There's not source <clears throat> material, is there? Yeah, it's like a manga Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah. Nineteen ninety series Gunnam. But I've never seen a movie that what's the right words here? It's so it does a great job of representing where Rodriguez is at as a filmmaker. Okay. Like Alita is clearly the first part of a multiple part yeah. epic. Supposedly. And it it's a movie that never felt more like the Empire Strikes Back to me than any other movie. Huh. Yeah. Where is that a good thing? 
Yeah, like it's this movie where... Isn't that the antithesis of everything we talk about here? (laughs) And that you can't make a successful film that immediately feels like part of another one. Well, like... (laughs) It It always fails. And it doesn't. You need one that has a complete story. (laughs) It meets the rules of having a complete story where she achieves this goal, but there's totally more to do. It's just like the end of Empire, where they've finished that segment... And you clearly know that more is going to happen, and yeah. you just have to wait. Right. I don't know. That movie. But is they just... didn't make Empire, and that was it. It's not like Star Wars came out, and it was the first time they ever saw a Star Wars movie. It was called The Empire Strikes Back, and he walked in there and saw this movie. You know what I mean? They made Star Wars first, so that's yeah. why it was okay to have continuations after it. That's what I'm saying. I, so that's I know. a little weird to just make something that's just like you know this is a franchise starter immediately. Except that it it. probably won't be a franchise starter because it didn't make enough money. I think it did fairly okay, though. And it got good reviews. People were uh, respectful of it, and I think they enjoyed seeing him do something that was a big success. I'm a huge fan, but I did wait until it finally got down under $10 to purchase it. So it took me many months to purchase it. It was an interesting film. I mean, I'm a... I just don't think there's there just hasn't been many films where I think computer graphics look great. You know what I mean? They all it's they always look bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I just can't They've even come think of a, a long film. way, man. They have they have come so far, really. But every movie you watch that you think looks good, if you look at it like a year later, you're like, that's oh, not that great. It's hard to watch Spider Man. It's so bad. What's one of the oldest movies where you've recognized that the graphics were just god-awful and it always sticks in your mind? Lost in Space. Really? Remember the, the, the movie that came out like 97 with uh, Matt LeBlanc from Friends? Yeah. Le- yeah. William, William and, Hurt, your favorite Hurt. <laughs> I know, I love that movie. Like, it's um, entertaining. I do enjoy that movie too, but that monkey thing she's got. Do you remember the little monkey character? The little alien. Yeah. I mean, that is some of the worst... CG that they would never let. There's so many. Even talking about the, I, the Lawnmower Man. Do you remember that movie with Pierce Brosnan? Oh, oh they, that is I mean, that is a movie where they CG. Yeah, just they tried too awful. hard too early. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> I, w- I meant more exactly where you were with Lost in Space, where they were taking something that was pretty good and they executed it poorly. Yeah. I'll give you um, that Lost in Space was also the first film that um, the spaceships looked great. You know, but but I at that moment I was not I was no longer impressed with computer graphics because once they showed the spaceships and how good they looked, I was just like, eh, anybody can do it now, and that's really how it's been. So ever since like '98, I really haven't been impressed by CG. <laughs> like I'm just expecting it to look better every time I see a movie, and it does. But Alita was just so cartoonish to me that it's it just kind of made it forgettable. I don't know. Uh, for me, it's we can agree to disagree on Alita, but for me... I did uh, like it. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a bad movie. It just didn't really do it for me. American classic or Mexican classic, whatever you want to call it. Was it in Mexico? Um, I think, I mean, <laughs> it might be hit or miss, but <clears throat> got it. They really made it sound like he shoots every movie in Mexico. Yeah. Um, But the movie where, for me where the graphics always stick out when they shouldn't have was Air Force One. Oh, yeah, the plane at the end. 
when the plane oh, crashes and it is so bad <laughs> and it yeah. takes you out of a it moment does, where i agree yeah that's some bad stuff um and then last but not least the last film credit in here is red 11 yeah i didn't even see that i uh, read about it though some horror movie right it's it's cute uh yeah it's a science fiction horror film um written and directed by rodriguez Mm -hmm. and it is based on his book about writing el mariachi Mm -hmm. and it focuses on the premise where um he made all of the money the majority of the money for el mariachi by uh participating in uh medical experiments and so this movie is about a kid participating in science experiments to make back a $7,000 debt that he owes. Right. So that's cute. Yeah. Any good? Um, I didn't see it. Which, oh, I haven't seen it either. I'll show you something. You have it? That's awesome. Uh, have, have, yeah, my older sister, uh, Kristen, my sister gave it to me years ago. Yeah, many years ago. Yeah, I read it. It's really good. I mean, because he's not a writer. He just kind of told his story. So, yeah, yeah so, I'm very familiar with everything he did because he kept a diary while he was in this month-long science experiment thing um if i remember correctly i think he got like three grand for it he might have got the full seven grand but he got the money together somehow so he spent a little over seven grand making el mariachi which is an excellent segue that you bring this up because now we can get back yep to the back to the the movie Um, yeah so he had made some short films around austin and then he had this idea for, I don't know how the genesis was, I don't recall, but he wanted to make, he wanted to make a movie for the Mexican straight-to-video market, I believe, because it yep. was how you made money, you know, he could do it as a filmmaker and get his name out there, figured he'd make a couple of them cheap, sell them, make some good money, um, but just as it happened, uh, he had sent it out to a couple people, and columbia pictures i believe somebody there saw it was just like this is a lot better than your average direct to to video fare you know but i think he also got caught up um in a good way but right place right time where they were looking it was the early 90s um independent film explosion where they were looking for the next big thing you know it was like nirvana comes out so who who else can we grab silver chair and you know and everybody that maybe had one hit after that but they just put their feelers out and grab anyone and then give them a whole bunch of money so it's right like the 90s were such an amazing time for independent film i mean the three that always stand out to me the most is tarantino rodriguez and kevin smith yeah but there was definitely um what's his name and then that other guy and that was about it no <laughs> i mean there there's been a lot of that slacker who... guy what was his name? oh richard linklater yeah linklater totally he was one of those yeah and i mean there's a lot of different ones in there too uh who were always kind of right on the cusp throughout yeah. the 80s like how big was jim jermoosh in the 90s um you know i think he was like he's the kind of guy that wanted to stay on the outside you know what i mean i think he was more of like he liked having his own thing and doing his own control and he was a little older than these guys because he had started making his movies in the early 80s so by the 90s he had made maybe six or seven films and he kind of had his style down so i don't think he was interested in columbia pictures 
helping him out. I think he was already he was happy winning awards at major film festivals the way it was working anyways. Mm. But he probably got lumped in there mm. with them. Mm. I mean, mm. shit, he was already working with like Tom Waits and you know other stars throughout the 80s so i don't think he had any use to be one of the new kids when the 90s came and i i can't think of anybody else yeah i know there's a ton of them i'm sure that's let's jump ahead in time real quick to 2014 just to talk about his roles yeah uh for the sin city sequel he served as composer director of photography Mm. editor re-recording mixer writer um like every credit yeah. like he is the he starts writing every score for his movies starting with spy kids from spy kids on he has done every yeah. single score i don't know i just always felt like why not you know why not do that yourself you know what exactly what you want and if you got the time and the resources to do it then go for it you know and really, he's like Tarantino and those other guys, and he's a lot like Woody Allen. You know, he's just if if they start off, kind of putting their foot down and saying, "This is what I do," so expect me to do more of it. I think companies are like, "All right, well, okay," they back off and they let you do it. If you try to start doing stuff like as you've already been uh, making movies, that's probably a little harder, but if you let them know right from the beginning, I'm an editor, I'm going to edit the thing too, by the way, it's probably easier to keep that up. Yeah. And he, I mean, even in 2003 with once upon a time, the budget for that movie, considering all the stars are in it is 29 million. Yeah. Like, so he's still able to make these movies for the most part on the cheap. Right. And, um, it's just admirable. Well, let's talk about El Mariachi. So El Mariachi starts with a uh, musician, the Mariachi. He's unnamed. He comes into town, into a small Mexican town, and he's looking for work. He's a musician. He's a guitarist. He's looking for work. Uh, At the same time, there is a criminal who's in jail in the same town. I believe the same town. And he uh, wears all black, and some guys are coming to kill him. Because I suppose it was his partner that sent guys to kill him. But he ends up killing those guys. And so he's telling the partner, well, now I'm coming for you. So this guy leaves the jail. He has a guitar case. He's dressed in black. But the guitar case is full of guns. And he goes on a murdering spree trying to kill all of his former partner's men until he can finally kill Moko, who is the uh, big bad. Moko. So the mariachi is in town. He wears all black. He carries the suitcase. Of course, it has a guitar in it. So, of course, they are confused with each other. So Moko's men is looking for a man in black carrying a guitar case. They confuse the mariachi for being that man. Uh, Chases ensue. The mariachi finds himself in pretty hairy situations. Ends up having to kill people just to survive. But even though he four. kills people, he kills yeah. four. People. Even though he kills people, he's still like, I gotta find work as a musician, <laughs> which is what I love about it. He's still got that in his mind. I just need to kill these guys, and I then I gotta go uh, uh, begging for a job. Uh, but then he ends up meeting this woman at a bar, and she kind of helps him out, takes him in. They kind of fall in love. It all comes to a head where they the Moko's guys kidnap the mariachi bring him to Moko and say, we got the guy. Moko says, no, that's not the guy. You know, get rid of him or whatever. And then it turns out that 
his girlfriend is also taking money or works with Moko in some way, or his new love interest that he meets at the bar works with Moko some way. So everybody's on the take in the town. I think I'm losing where I'm going with this, but it all ends up with... Why did they go to Moku's place at the end? I can't recall. I'm I'm did blanking too, and I just watched the movie. I just saw the movie <laughs> All right, <laughs> like literally, it's been less than twelve right. hours. Um, oh, so... this is why because Azul, who is the real Man in Black bad guy, he wants to go kill Moko. He kidnaps or, or takes by force the girl from the bar. Yes, Domino. Yes, so yes. he takes her. That's right. He takes her to Moko's. That's why the mariachi has to follow. But when he gets there, Azul's already dead, right? And so's... And uh, then, does he kill Domino in front? No, he finds Domino dead. That's right. Yep, Domino's already dead, too. She's dead. The woman he loves is dead. And then, it's because the drug lord, Moko, really loves Domino yes, and wanted right. her to hook up. He and was he, jealous, yes. Yeah, he's so mad that she loves the mariachi that he kills her. So one of the best endings, I think, is that he shoots the mariachi's hand. Yep. Which I think that's awesome. Like, because there's no... He will not exist now in any way but for revenge. So it does set up his desire for revenge after this. But he ends up killing Moko. So that's cool. Oh, and then the second best ending is that all the men are, like, totally fine with it. I loved that, too. Like, <laughs> the writing like, here oh, good, he's dead. is amazing. Like, I was an asshole anyways. We didn't really care. You're good to go. So he leaves, and he's a man. He's a man with no country at that point. You know, he's just this guy who's can't be as a mariachi. He can't be a mariachi anymore, and he just drives off into the sunset. Um, not to bring up Star Wars too much, but that scene really reminded me of Empire Strikes Back. I thought you were going to say the original. <laughs> the way that Darth Vader treats his subordinates all the way through mm. empire strikes back and how much of a joke they make out of him killing off subordinates made me think about yeah Mo- Mocho and right, right. how he's constantly lighting the match off of that guy's yep. face mexican freddie mercury and i just think <laughs> that if luke had shot and killed vader at the end in the middle of well, I want to. I like it more if he was on the Death Star, surrounded by stormtroopers, and he kills Vader. I think that's how the stormtroopers would react. You know what? It would work a lot better in Star Wars: bullets <laughs> <laughs> than lasers. You know what I mean? Lasers only do so much, and you can't rapid fire lasers. Apparently, you can only do one at a time. But that's bullets. True. So they live in this galaxy where they never invented. Like the machine gun or something? Like, they never had bullets? They never had pieces of metal flying like shrapnel that would destroy somebody? That's very barbaric, man. I'm just saying, it works. <laughs> they probably would have put down the whole empire pretty quickly if they had enough machine guns. Just look at El Mariachi and Desperado. It works. <laughs> it does work. And so, <clears throat> the only... <sighs> This movie was confusing going into Desperado, just because you spend all of Desperado going, okay, so Mocho or Moco is okay. dead. Yeah. So why is he going after Bocho? Well, now here is why I wanted to do Desperado, because I thought it was our opportunity to talk about, it's a sequel, but it's kind of a remake. It is. I don't know. It may be of... more of a remake than a sequel. I'm not really sure. It could be 50 50. 
No, but it's a thing. It's a remake in that it follows the storyline of the mariachi, except he's not a mariachi. That's the only difference. He's already on his path of revenge. That makes it a sequel, but he's out for revenge against somebody that sounds like Moko, but it's Bocho or Bucho. Uh, he meets a girl. She doesn't work at a bar, but she works at a library. Uh, he gets injured. She takes care of him. He gets injured again. She takes care of him. It's, it follows the same exact beats of the mariachi. She's also on the take from this exactly. guy. Uh, um, it all ends up at his compound at the end. Um, the thing is, uh, I, I guarantee you Rodriguez considers it a sequel and a remake because he made a Mexican film. This was an American film. He just They wanted him to remake his movie, I'm pretty sure, for an American audience. But he's like, yeah, I can do that, but I'm going to make it a little, you know, we're going to make it a little bit of a sequel so I can continue the story as well. So that's why yeah. I think it's both. This is a classic Evil Dead 2 sequel. There remake. you go. That's another one. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear that he is the same guy as the original because they went and they reshot the yeah. ending of El Mariachi for a flashback in Desperado. Yep. Which was nice simply... to see him bring the actual actors back. Yeah. Aside from the mariachi, you know? So I thought that was pretty fun. And so he's got the scarred hand. Like, I just, it was really hard for me to immediately buy into this quest for revenge that he's on when he kills the guy at the end of the first movie. And he doesn't know who that guy is. Right. It's like between El Mariachi, he just gets this feeling like, God, I feel like my work isn't done. I know I killed that guy. I should be happy, but but now maybe I have to there was a higher superior. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Right from the beginning, and this is this is the thing. I love Desperado, but I now watch it when I'm older and I'm more critical of it. <laughs> so right, I agree with you right from the beginning. Does he really need to take revenge on the person that's even higher up? I guess he does, because if he doesn't, we don't really, have a movie. I don't think Bocho, Boco? Boco. Bo- Bucho. I don't think, Bucho. Bucho. I don't think Bucho knew what Moco, Mocho, he does. knew what he was doing. No, and they're, like, they're basically the same character again, you know? They both wear white, you know? It's like, again, this is a remake, but it's sort of a sequel, whatever. Um, <clears throat> We're going to get into it in the next movie, but... God, Rodriguez does some crazy stuff with his movies. In Mariachi, um, like, he's such a playful director. Mm-hmm. You can see that in his movies. Yeah. Every time in El Mariachi where the uh, hotel innkeeper calls into Moco yeah. and they speed it up. <laughs> it's all he, sped up. <laughs> it works really well, and you like that. You see that over and over in Desperado yep. 2. Um, just in different, more subtle ways. Even in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, uh, there's a healthy dose of comedy, and I think that is fun, because he doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, I think not taking himself too seriously is a little bit of a detriment to Desperado. I mean, Desperado is an awesome film. It's very entertaining. It's um, cool as shit. But it does have some issues, you know what I mean? It's got some story issues. 
but this is probably everything I'm saying after we talk about the movie. So what happens in Desperado? Maybe we should talk about that first. Um, and what you're saying is absolutely true, and it's a real testament to Rodriguez as a filmmaker, where you, he shows you all the ways where he doesn't care about things like yeah. plot and continuity, and you don't care. You just enjoy the show. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I'm I care so a little excited. more nowadays because I am a little more critical of it, as I said. But oh, I didn't yeah. care back then. Yeah, that's no. for sure. <laughs> but I, I'm really excited for Once Upon a Time in Mexico just to spend three hours <clears throat> talking about. Oh, I build that up and then I, his name drops out of my head. Who's the bad guy? Uh, Will, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> in what do you call blackface for a Mexican? Well. Here's the thing my wife and I were talking about. I said, now listen, this is a white guy playing a Mexican, but it's okay, isn't it? Because the filmmaker is Mexican-American, and it was his idea, and he's okay with it. Isn't that all right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. They dyed his hair black. He has a spray tan, and he's speaking Spanish. Yes, and this it's is insane. 2003. Isn't that funny? 2003. People were doing stuff like that to like at least 2014. It's only it's literally only been maybe in the past five, maybe six years, maybe less that we've all been like we can't do that anymore. <laughs> it's only been about two months. Maybe. Yeah. I just got that letter in the mail. Like, oh my god, no more. Oh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so, back to Desperado. Yeah, so Desperado starts where El Mariachi leaves off. Uh, and now the Mariachi's played by uh, Antonio Banderas. Now, I wasn't Antonio really familiar Banderas. with Banderas before Desperado. I can't really tell I, you anything he was in. Uh, he's got, actually, a number of uh, mainline roles before. I was wondering the same thing, like, is this what brought him fame? And it's Now, he was in Philadelphia not... with Tom... Hanks, but was it at the same time? He, yep, he was Tom Hanks's. Uh, so he was at, that was boyfriend. actually, I think, before Desperado, right? Yep, like it was before. before or the same year. Now, in... my parents certainly didn't take me to see Philadelphia in 1994, so I'm sure I didn't see that movie before I saw <laughs> Desperado. So I was not aware of him, but. Yep, not aware at all. Um, I'm still pulling it up. He's got so <clears throat> many credits in the 80s, but the majority okay. are all Spanish language. Well, and I, then... um, is, aside from rock stars who are like the coolest people I've ever known, you know, like as a fan, Banderas is up there with them. Like in the 90s, he was one of the coolest motherfuckers I could ever think of. If somebody was talking about a cool, slick, movie actor, I would immediately think of Antonio Banderas, mostly because of Desperado and then the Zorro movies, you know? I mean, is there anybody cooler than him in movies? I was 13 years old when we were introduced to him in uh, 1995 Desperado, and if I was my age then, I would have absolutely been gay. (laughs) Like, he is such a great looking man i he's still a great looking man well that's the thing about him is that i i thought he was so cool i still do you know but it was always like offensive to me when i would see him in movies where he wasn't cool and his hair was cut and he was kind of a nerd you know what i mean like that's the thing like i thought he was so cool and i'm like what what are you doing to banderas come on come on cooler than this uh 
just to set the record straight, uh, we have the Mambo Kings in 92, which I never saw, but I've heard of. Heard of. Uh, Philadelphia in 93. Interview with the Vampire in 94. See, i never seen that. I didn't know he was in that. I did not remember him being in it either. Uh, and then we get Desperado in 95. Bird just flew into my window. Sorry. You know, oh, that's sad. Watch out for the brown recluse. <laughs> did he stop knocking? He's okay. <laughs> uh, and then it just explodes from there. Yeah. Assassins, which yeah, is amazing. Yeah, I love that movie. Did you see that? Have you ever seen that? With I have Sebastian seen Sloan? that so much. And I did not realize it was a Richard Donner movie. Yeah. It's a very slow film. Like, that's its only... To me, that's one of the biggest problems. It's kind of a chore to get through. But they're both... He's ridiculous in it. Just how ridiculous. much fun he's having with it. Ugh. Uh, he's in Evita, Mask of Zorro, 13th yep. Warrior. Uh, I like 13th Warrior. I've never seen that. Original Sin, Spy Kids. Oh, Original Sin. That was an Angelina Jolie film as well. And she and he are getting it on all the time. Yep. yep. <laughs> that, was, that was a big one. That was a big one yeah, for us. I don't remember it, but I remember <laughs> seeing it for that reason. Yeah. Right. And then there's a lot of stuff. He gets so kid-friendly. Yeah. Like, he's got all those spy kids. He's got uh, Shrek. Oh, my he's... God. That's right, Shrek. Yeah. Although he's good. He's good as the oh, yeah. Puss in Boots, I mean. I mean, he did the sequel. He did the Puss yeah. in Boots movie. Yep. So, yeah. That's where he he basically followed the family trained right down with Robert Rodriguez. Yep. Um, so, anyway, Desperado starts with a strong dose of quentin tarantino we have yep. steve buscemi walking Telling into a, story. a bar which <laughs> is like this is absolutely written by quentin tarantino quentin tarantino absolutely took this script and punched up sections you think so you can probably hear his voice yeah. when steve buscemi is talking it is tarantino through and through even the like the tone like i'd be surprised if tarantino didn't direct that segment yeah, right. um, because he actually let Tarantino direct a segment of Sin City, so it's not uncommon. <laughs> yes, and then like he, Rodriguez <clears throat> is credited as directing the scenes in Pulp Fiction where Tarantino was in the movie. Really? That's what it says in the IMDb. Who? Not the IMDb. The Wikipedia. Who knows if it's true? So he's responsible for all the N-word talk, and he <laughs> let that get by because. That's one of the greatest movies of all time, Pulp Fiction, but I can't defend that part. I really think it's like, I think Sam Jackson should have stepped in and said like, you don't want to do this. <laughs> Sam Jackson not, was all about it. I know, it. but he shouldn't have been. I think he should have been like, Quentin, it's, you're not, you're not going to want to, you're not going to want to defend this for the next 50 years of your life. Let's just, let's just cut it out. Say black guy. <laughs> right? I mean, right? <laughs> and I mean, we are nobody to speak for the African American no, community. Not at all. Um, but well, no, I'm <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of any movie that give black actors a strong voice. Yes, um, and that, like, the characters in Pulp Fiction are believable. Yeah. Um, and they're yeah. strong, independent characters that have, like, I'm I'm a fan. Everything is about context, and I think that's what a lot of people who fly off the handle immediately they they forget the context. 
Tarantino just wants to make a good film no matter what it takes. And that's what Pulp Fiction comes out. So if he thinks this character should say the N-word, it's not because he is trying to put someone down. He's just literally thinking this is how the character would speak. And he wants to be honest to that. And that's context to me. But at the same time, nowadays, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he would. I don't think he would. He's not going to do it anymore. He let, eight. He let De, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio do it in Django Unchained because it took place in the 1800s. But I think that's the last time you'll hear it. Oh, you think if it's not timeline appropriate, it won't happen yes, anymore? Yes, I do. Well... I, we'll we see. might never get the chance to see, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Um. Anyway, where were we? Uh, Quentin Tarantino definitely had a hand in the yeah, Desperado script. it just script. gets crazy. Ed, I Body mean, just... flying everywhere, explosions. You can hear the dialogue change. Like, oh, we're and on the story still. Yeah, you're right. It starts getting into the middle. But yeah, so somehow... It's Steve a good Buscemi, story, though. And Buscemi's great. You know? Credited as Buscemi... Uh, is just telling this tall tale about uh, the El Mariachi just to scare the people in the bar, and then he goes back and he tells Antonio Banderas what he did. Yes. Um, and Banderas is happy, and he sends his Bashemi away, and Bashemi's like, you should quit doing this, blood isn't going to help you, and right. you know, try not to make this one a bloodbath because you like killing everybody. It's not that well written. I don't think that portion like he's they're just playing these stock roles where it's like you go tell the story, but then you got to come back and tell me that you you have a, a moral compass after doing this work for me and telling me you got to stop. OK, I'll go away now. You know, what well, I mean? like this was section like, was clearly uh, written you know. by Rodriguez. Yeah. Like and it's that transition. It's almost chunky clunky yeah, exactly clunky i think it's clunky but yeah it works again it works in the in the in the broader sense of how this film operates so it's not like it turns you off or anything yeah you're like yeah it's still cool and there'll be some awesome gunfights so and, whatever, whatever i mean and buscemi's great if it's coming out of him i don't mind if it's clunky <laughs> he's such a clean director <clears throat> now like it's I don't know what happened between El Mariachi and here, yeah. but he, without that much extra money, he's so much more polished, and you can see it mm. in the movie. It's fun to watch. It's well, great I do action. think that for a lot of filmmakers, money is the detriment. You know, money is the problem. When you're all of a sudden able to do anything, you're less creative. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I can see that. But some people flourish in it, you know? I think James Cameron flourishes in having money, you know? Like, for him, it's all about... The more I can do, and he'll make better films or something. I'm very excited at Avatar 2 being a leap forward in film technology. Because if it's just another blue alien movie, I yeah. just, I have a hard time. You know, like, there's another, obviously we're segueing into a different area here. But I think it's totally fine to make an Avatar sequel 15 years later. As long as it's not a sequel. I think he made his first Avatar, and now I'm going to make three or four more films. This is a new franchise. Don't worry about that one. This is a new franchise. And then he can put all these movies out in a proper timeline, maybe every two years apart or whatever. Then I think it'd be more acceptable. But you may have another Sin City on your hands where it comes out 15 years later than anybody gives a shit. Because they're all, <laughs> he's filming them all together, isn't yeah. he? 
So I feel like, like he really shouldn't do it. I hope it's not a sequel. I hope it's just its own thing. Oh, you know? ha- like they've got everybody coming back. Yeah, but in, it doesn't at all have to talk sense. about what happened. You know, I feel like it could ju- it should just start with something a new franchise. Like if they and that's are almost pulling... a prequel or something. I don't know. If he's pulling a Robert Rodriguez where he brings back the same actors but they're totally different characters and it's never explained. Yeah. I don't think that would work. No. What if he just remakes the movie into four like, different films? But he yeah, like improves the... on everything he did wrong with the first one or whatever, you know, story wise. Who's dead that's coming back in Avatar 2? The main bad guy's coming back. Uh, He's is dead. Sigourney Weaver in it? Cause she Sigourney died. Weaver is in she it. she died. And she died. Huh. Like, there's just a big article about how she had to film so much underwater and she learned how to hold her breath for like six, seven minutes. Yeah, because that's and what she's you like make 70. 60-year-old woman do. Jesus, exactly. <laughs> Jesus. Quit drowning women, James Cameron. Please. <laughs> That's all we're asking. Quit drowning uh, them. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so the mariachi <clears throat> goes to this bar. Mm-hmm. And he uh, kills everybody? But I feel like he knows he's going to start some trouble. Like, he can't walk around wearing what he's wearing, carrying what he's carrying, after knowing you sent your guy out telling stories about a big Mexican in black carrying a guitar case and not expecting trouble. So I yep. think he's like sadistic in a way that he like kind of like eh, I'm gonna go into this place. Oh, I don't want to kill you, but I will. <laughs> and he's just a little again. He's a little <clears throat> too bloodthirsty for yeah. that woman that he liked for a few days in the first movie. Right. Like one true love, sure, but you're doing this I, infantile you know, version I think of love. When you lose your talent, when you lose everything that mattered to you. Uh, it made you. It makes you go crazy. You don't know what to do with your life. I think he's literally becoming a murderer because he can't play guitar anymore. Ooh, I like that take. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that he, makes way that's more the sense. Only than... thing that mattered to him. They say they killed his his love, and they mean his guitar. You know, not his woman is how I always take it. Because I'm like, he's a destroyed oh. man. He has no reason to live because his love is gone and his love that makes so much more sense i love that take yeah so it's he's not the... just going a little crazy you know yeah and then when he meets another woman he feels less like killing you know to some degree yeah <laughs> and we'll yeah. find so... out when when you watch once upon a time in mexico the fact that he's happy is why he's he's put away the guitar case is what right. happens in between those two movies basically so how does he meet Selma Hayek again? He kills everybody in this bar. Yeah, he's leaving, and uh, Machete is after him. Oh, uh, uh, no, not yet. No, 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 no. This is, the, yeah, one of the remaining guys from the bar shoots him while he's on the street. Because he tries Hayek, to save Selma Hayek. Yeah, so he pushes her down so she won't get shot. He gets hit. She takes him in to heal him. Um, in her library yeah she's hilarious in this film i really like her in this movie aside from being uh captivating on screen you know because i don't know if anybody had really seen her that much before this film as well she really stands out but she's hilarious in it and i think she's just like there's just like an animal sexuality that she just loves this guy like she is so hot on the mariachi like that's her thing but at the same time, she's kind of doesn't take a lot of shit from him. They're strong 
independent Mexican women in these movies over and over that uh, really like to smile after the mariachi says something. Uh, (laughs) Every time the mariachi walks away from one of these women, he has a quippy line, and then they all smile because they know that he's into them or something. Like, it just has this portrayal of women aged poorly or is it held up? I have a hard time. Uh, yeah, I, it, it definitely didn't feel like it aged poorly. It may have a little bit if I think about it, but it didn't, I didn't get that feeling immediately from it. So I think so, so to me, it didn't bother me as much. I was right on the fence, but I like the portrayals. Like, I don't think they're too, they, they're not too damsel in distress. So, so he finds out while he's injured that everybody knows Buco. I keep feeling like I'm saying it wrong. Bucho. Bucho. Everybody knows Bucho. She knows Bucho. She's on the take. Yeah, everybody's Um, working for him. In the meantime, he finds... Or everybody's turning a blind eye, and he pays them, basically. That's what it seems like. Yeah. They all just assist him in drug smuggling and keeping money, but they don't really have to do anything, necessarily. Exactly. You just turn a blind eye. And I think I would take that money, too. It's hard not to take $50,000. Oh, what I was going to say is that, um, look at that, those towns in Mariachi and Desperado. I mean, there's a lack of uh, good men in those movies, you know what I mean, in those towns. So when somebody like the Mariachi comes into town, of course the women are going to be all about it. Like, here comes this guy, he's insanely attractive, and he's got a job where he's got a, a hobby, you know what I mean? Like... He seems to have it together, whereas everybody else in this town is a criminal. So I think that's why Salma Hayek and the girl, or Domino in the original movie, they gravitate to the mariachi. Well, like, <laughs> I see Alita actually through a completely different lens after watching these movies. Because I paused Desperado at a scene where they're all on the street. Mm-hmm. And it <clears throat> looked like the street in Alita. Um, like, it's just this colorful mess of characters and culture yeah. and everything blurs together and saying that these people were bad people it's just how they've grown up and yeah it just seems to... like everybody's a gang member though all the males you know yeah, yeah like every bar in town is where they congregate so well, i don't know you take the work where it's offered yeah um but the interesting thing to me is that in the midst of everyone being a criminal and like this being a bad place to go is the way it feels. There's always like white tourists hanging out <laughs> and they're trying to get, hey, we just want a drink. We want a drink. And they're always getting told to fuck off and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, well, I guess it's not that dangerous. I don't know. <laughs> that feels very, that feels very authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I liked about it. And it's just funny, you know. That's so, the part that, you know, they always keep I'm gonna humor say these going. words out sorry. I'm gonna say these words out loud. In Alita Battle Angel, it feels like <laughs> the movie is taking place in Mexico. Okay. And the flying city that everybody wants to get to is America. Oh and the real earth, the real place with the culture and all the people is mexico and what they're looking for that they're looking off of the sky is just this illusion yes where it's the corrupt live 
yeah. and shit on everybody at the bottom. Right. And they're literally living off of the garbage that is shot down from the flying city. Like, yeah, I uh, <laughs> didn't know. You're right. I didn't put that together. That's I'm sure that does allude to that in some degree. Well, <laughs> Mexico has such a fantastic culture. You yeah. know, everything about it is amazing. And whenever a film gets it right and really can show American audiences how beautiful it is, you come away feeling like, oh, yeah, I guess the idiot conservatives in Texas who want to talk about how everything's dangerous back there, they probably are exaggerating to some degree. You know what I mean? And I think movies like um, maybe Alita, but I also think like Coco, you know, and other movies like that, I think that in just their own little way, they show that uh, there's more to it than we're led to believe. You know what I mean? Now, maybe Desperado, uh, maybe maybe Mexicans don't appreciate Desperado. I don't know. Don't appreciate it. I don't know. Like maybe um, it does. Maybe it does feed into that mis uh, belief that uh, it's dangerous and you shouldn't go there or something. I don't know. They shot Desperado in the <clears throat> same location where I they shot so, El yeah. Mariachi. Right. And in El Mariachi, the locals were not very happy no. about it. And so he did what any smart person would, and uh, he cast them all in the movie. <laughs> Funny, like one of the newscasters is either the bartender or that guy in the hotel. I can't recall which one. Uh, in the beginning of El Mariachi at the jail, um, the warden and the guard were literally the real... That woman was the real yes, warden of right. that jail. And the guard was yeah. the real guard, and it was just cheaper to have them play themselves. Right. But yeah, I mean... So I do think that Rodriguez took advantage maybe of the Mexican culture in order to tell uh, a shoot 'em up movie that made them all seem like they were dangerous. But at the same time, I don't believe that to be true for their culture. So I don't give a shit. I just think it's fun. (laughs) Yeah, like only like shootings and things of that nature are a mental illness issue and they're not a media issue i mean all gangster movies are about white americans you know what i mean that all it doesn't make me feel like i'm offended you know that america is all big gangsters or something because we're not it's just a certain subset of our culture (laughs) just a certain subset of the culture anyway that uh where are we now spaghetti uh so (laughs) he's he's he was injured she patches him up um, and sh- sh- he discovers the connections that mm. the whole town has, including a little boy with a guitar yep. that he, uh, shows, um, how to play the guitar better. Yeah. Now it's a um, big thing in Desperado that he can't play anymore. Yeah. It's, it's painful to him. Maybe it's a mental block as well. It's the, it's the physical damage or something. Yeah. I don't know. But that, um, and we'll get to this, but that's completely dropped. In uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Well, it has is the argument that it's been so long, he never really gave it any time for his hand to heal. Yeah. And now his hand is healed a bit, and he's actually able to grip stuff Possibly. again. Possibly. He wears this... Uh... Wrist brace, yeah. yeah. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about the little boy visions that he has in El Mariachi. Mm. Um, and uh, Yeah, the wasn't... boy in, in Desperado is also... A redo of the boy in 
El Mariachi, you know what I mean? So one more thing that's kind of a remake. All right. Anyway, so... <laughs> um, uh, so he takes Selma Hayek with him. Well, she's kind of hanging out at the bookstore the whole time. The Mariachi goes to meet Buscemi again, and he sees him at... And he meets him in the uh, church, in the yes. confession booth. And they talk... Buscemi's only character trait is tell big story and also I need to tell you to stop doing this so he gives another stop doing this speech he leaves he gets killed by Dane Trejo yeah on the street yeah they're both together on the street right and where it's another allusion to El Mariachi and that they get the wrong guy so the other guys that are out trying to kill the Mariachi see this man in black kill him bring him back and Bucho is a that was a funny scene when he's on the phone talking to the guy because they're because he finds out that he has a superior that sent a guy out to kill the mariachi as well and he's just like well you got to tell me these things my guys could kill him by accident and then he's on the phone what does he look like yep yep got a tattoo yep we'll look out for him <laughs> and he's dead the whole time <laughs> yep uh <laughs> so Buscemi's dead so it's just worth mentioning do we did you notice that in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Selma Hayek is using Danny Trejo's knives yes. from this movie? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's fun. She's the new Machete. She's, yeah, machete. I don't think his name's Machete in here. I know. It's just, he's always Machete. <laughs> um, at this point, there she's healing him again mm-hmm. in the library when... Uh, Bucho. Bucho comes to visit her. Yep. And same deal. He is paying her all this money, and it really seems like it's just because he wants to bang her. Yeah. Or they have banged. They I have, I think. But Sounds she like doesn't it, yeah. like it. She's not now in it. She just wants the money. Yep. Um, and she's she pulls away, and yep. she makes it clear that she's not interested, and he leaves. And then and... he has a vision later when he's having sex, and he's all of a sudden like, ding, the mariachi's at the bookstore. <laughs> yep. So he tells and... his people to go and burn the place down. Yep. Um, they do. It, they do. I was thinking about the moment where Bucho uh, gives the bride, they see a parade outside for right, a yeah, wedding. Yeah. And Bucho's so cemented into this community that he just walks up to the bride and gives her a big wad of money. Yep. And, and they are like, cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's I, just, I take it too. But, uh... He's the boss of that town. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah. Uh, do they, this is where they hook up, isn't it? And they have that crazy sex? Yeah. That is yep. the, the most 90s sex scene I can think of. In recent memory uh, that I've seen lately, and it's just another uh, credit to Rodriguez being such a playful uh, <laughs> filmmaker because he's he clearly oh, told them do the craziest shit you can mm-hmm. think of. So there's one point where who sucks on whose chin? Uh, Salma Hayek sucks on uh, Antonio Banderas's chin. I mean, now, yep. when you've been intimate with a woman, have you ever sucked on somebody's chin? No, no, no. But now that I saw that, I'm gonna give it a shot. <laughs> And then, like, a spur on his boot comes into play. Yes! Like, Let me just uh, do this. No, can you just focus, like, on something? No, I need to do the boot spur. Just give me a second. You'll like it. And I really don't like that at all. Oh. 
Um, so yeah, uh, they're laying in candlelight, bed. heavy orange tungsten light feel. You know what I mean? Just very nineties. I'm surprised there weren't blowing shades, you know, or curtains everywhere. <laughs> little little sacks. Yeah. So he kills a bunch of people. They're on the run. Um. So this gets burned. So gets burned down, right? And then they have to escape. All the, she saved all this money, and it all was in the book, so it all burned up. She's got nothing. She's got yeah. nothing, and they have to basically just sit on a roof and hide across from the poorly. Store. But luckily, the yeah. guys never seen them. They are very <laughs> visible on this roof, yeah. and this is where he sees Bucho, and he for doesn't the first shoot time. him for some. He reason. doesn't shoot him. That's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. And she's upset about this, yeah. but it's fine. Oh, we never mentioned that Tarantino was in the film. Oh, uh, yeah, Tarantino never. is in the film as a bag man yeah, for Bujo. He's, he's got a story, too. Yeah. yeah. I think he does, he, he does a good job for what it, for what it is. It's kind of, yeah. it's a little pointless. And then he's killed. And then he's dead. And, yeah. yeah, it just stinks of Tarantino. And that I'm is just trying to think is. of anything else. Yeah, Tarantino clearly wrote that story as well. Oh, yeah. He came with it's his like, own joke. Oh yeah, I you just let him in. Joke, you gotta let me put it in. Anyway, they're lying low. Yeah. So here's the weird part. I don't know. I like she's like call your friends, you know? Yeah. Because she knows friends. he has friends, so he calls his friends, which is cool. But there's I don't know. Like I guess you got to take out the rest of the people in town. So that's the point of the scene. Yeah. There's just so many men yeah. on Bucho's side that. He but I feel it would have been a Moku situation where once you kill the head vampire, all the other ones <laughs> turn back to normal. You know what I mean? So I really yep. don't think he needed to just kill all these people. I think he could have just went to Bucho's and took him out. You know what I mean? And then everybody else probably would have been like, all right, yeah, well, the guy, that guy's done. We're done too. So never seeing El Mariachi before and seeing Desperado a few times, I, it was nice to have the friends show up. And who is his friend? Mm -hmm. But Carlos none other than El Mariachi man. himself. Yeah. <laughs> right. Looking so great. much cooler in this movie. Yeah, but here's the, here's the thing that uh, I didn't mention off the top. Uh, having watched, and I had seen Mariachi before, years ago. Uh, having watched Mariachi and then desperado like a day later yeah i was on <laughs> and i'm a T antonio banderas fan i was kind of disappointed i i was like i kind of want to see carlos continue the role you know what i mean like i i wanted to see him continue as the mariachi i kind of felt bad for him that he got shoved to the side for some big time you know new actor he was actually pretty great um but again this is where Rodriguez just expects you to buckle up and enjoy his ride. Yes. He demands that you not ask any questions. It's kind of... It's expected. If you make a movie for $7,000 and then a studio comes along and says, will you remake that film for an American audience and we'll put it in theaters, you you, you got to know as an actor, like, you're going to be recast. All right? But Rodrigo's such a good family guy that he's just like, you're going to be in the film still and I'll let you produce if we do another one. So he and you know this all the other them, people I think. that were in that movie? We're going to put them in this one, too. Just exactly. different roles. Right. And we're going to get to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Uh, or not in Hollywood, <laughs> sorry. In Mexico. There's too many movies. I'm just going to say this out loud. Too many movies that start with Way Once many. Upon a Time. There's Once Upon you know. a Time. Uh, what's, in what America. Like the first one? Well, I think it's Once America. Upon a Time in America. 
Wasn't there Once Upon a Time that was a Western? Once Upon a Time in the West, I think. Once Upon a Time in the Old West, or something like that. And then Once Upon a Time in America with uh, De Niro. And yeah. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And then yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Th- that, that's a little too close. I know Tarantino and Rodriguez have been lifelong buddies, but really you're going to call your movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Like, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but the mariachis, seeing all of them use their guitar cases... Another amusing scene and fun when you're a kid to watch them blow the shit out of the place. That makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't make any sense, but they did preface it with the fact that his friends are crazy, is what he said. I can't call them because they'll just destroy the town. So they're crazy. So the mariachi is like (laughs) taking cover behind cars and shit. These two are not. And they're like, why aren't they? And I was like, because they're crazy. They're really crazy. They're just there to destroy the place. They don't even care about their own safety. So it kind of worked for me, I guess. It works. It all works. But I'm still going to be that logic guy. So you mean the mariachi who was actually a musician from the first movie who didn't have guns in his suitcase? um, He somehow, on his quest for revenge decides that he likes guns and suitcases Mm -hmm. and not only that but he makes a couple of crazy friends shows them the guns in the suitcases gets them to start putting guns in the suitcases but they don't actually hang out that often and they only hang out when he calls yeah and what is the what is the process there did he create two other guitar case psychos or did they just happen to have coincidentally guitar cases that did things as well I, he I don't, wasn't I don't know. even the first guitar case psycho he wasn't that was because a different a, a, guy Azul was yeah and so yeah <laughs> these are questions that destroy a movie because there's no way to answer them it's just something you got to go with i guess yeah i don't know why but it's just a fun extra 10 minutes to the movie i guess they needed so those guys die but they do kill pretty much every one of the yep. uh, henchmen that are at least on the street. So then, uh, but the kid gets killed. Or the kid gets hurt. The kid gets hurt. So they take him to the hospital. Yep, and he chooses the kid over his friends, but he was always going to because they're crazy. Right. And I think that's the nail in the coffin for him where he's just like, all right, we just got to end this. I'm just going to head, head. I'm just going to drive there. I know yep. where it is. And she's and so like, they this just drive the place. There. And he's just like, oh, it's it's the place. It's the it place. Because why? Because Bu- Bucho mm-hmm. just happens to be <laughs> just happens the to be. El Mariachi's older brother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did this bother you when you saw Desperado? The first I time? Did, did not remember that detail the first time. I remembered from... it, but it didn't occur to me. It didn't bother me at all. It's now, just... It bothers me. It bothers me. Because if it's supposed to be a sequel, there's no way that that's possible. But if it's a remake and a retelling and they change facts, all right, I guess I'll go with it. But it just kind of seems like you would have some inkling that your brother is a mob leader. I don't know. Yeah. Like, he kind of says, like, shows are in, are there? Is it like John? I think, oh, could it be the John I know? It must well, be now, a different John. Now, Moco was... His name was like Marcelo or something like that. And they just call right. him Moco. So, Bucho may be just a nickname as well. You like, know? that's Benjamin. Yeah. Exactly. So, maybe there's, maybe there's no 
maybe there wouldn't be a way for him to know. But he also didn't recognize his voice when he heard him in the uh, library. So that's another yeah. thing. Um, I don't know. It made it seem like, okay, maybe they haven't seen each other in 20 years. So maybe you wouldn't know that your brother is a mob leader. I don't know. I guess it's possible, but it, it seemed a little far-fetched. Yeah, a little far-fetched. Why do they do that? Why did he do that? Does he not? Does he just think that was cool, or did they? Because think, did they tell him like you gotta make you gotta have some connection here at the end. There's gotta be. Something I think that's that makes the part of the more emotional. Obviously, Tarantino didn't read the whole script because so, he didn't think that needed to be punched up. Yeah. Um, he only got through the first like twenty pages of the script and punched yeah. that up and was like, "All right, I'm sure the rest is fine." But um, he does kill him. He does, and then which is quickly... emotional. I mean, it's it's him killing the leader is more hard-hitting if it is his family. I'll give yeah. him that. So maybe that's why he thought that change was okay. And he wasn't going to kill him until his brother's like, I'm going to kill this woman right in front of you, and then we'll be brothers. Yeah. Or something. Uh, it, it was more like, you killed my men, I'm going to kill her, then we'll be even. Yes. Right. Even Steven. But that's not nice. No, so he, was so like he kills him. So he does Fades the guns to... and the wrists, which are pretty sweet. Yep. Um, and, and it flashes to white. To white. Yeah. yeah. And I read that they actually shot the another... whole thing. Yeah. But it was too violent and it, they couldn't get an R rating with it. So we just decided to cut the whole thing out, which yeah, I actually think works. Because yeah, we just it totally sat, worked. We just sat through the mariachis killing everybody. I didn't want to sit through another 10 minute yeah, no. shoot them out. And so it cuts to them in the hospital checking on the kid. No, just him. And then he goes into the hall and that's where she is. Mm hmm. Um, and it sounds like he's going to go on his way yeah. until he says, Hey, did I thank you yet? <laughs> and she's like, no. And he's like, what did he say? I will. I, I, will. I will. Which is a good line. It's a good callback. I, I like a that. a great line. line. That's a good line um, to the movie. And she giggles like the horny teenage girl she is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he is that's walking so down the street. He's just going to be the yep. lone El Mariachi. I'm going to the but next wait, no. Because you know what? It turns what? out the Bucho had somebody above him as well. So well, no, I just meant that uh, he's got to go kill that guy. He's going to drive up behind mm. him and he's going to throw his guitar case away yep. and just be a happy I'm man. Done, done. And then they back up and they which pick up funny. the guitar case. Just and he case. says, yeah. just in case, which is a, a delicious pun. Delicious. Because <laughs> it's a case. <laughs> and then they drive off to the sunset yeah so great great movie that just kind of holds up yes that's where i'm putting it i agree i agree it's a it's a it's a great it is a great film i will always love it yeah um and it kind of holds up <laughs> so here's the funny it doesn't thing. hold up to questions very well obviously we've learned Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's plot holes left and right. Yeah. Um, did you notice in El Mariachi the dead girl moves? I didn't notice it, no, but I read that it was I another... totally noticed it. Yeah. Like, her lip just kind of, like, turns into, like, a half a smile. Well, sometimes like, you're in, a, in the throes of death. You got a little twitching going on, maybe. And it said in the... There wasn't a lot to look up on these movies. Like, I was kind of grasping I was straws. a little uh, surprised that there wasn't more about the making of it or whatever yeah but i you know i read his book so he definitely talks about making mariachi a lot in it 
Um, um, lots of really bloopers call. left in in mariachi. What's that? Um, lots of bloopers left yeah. in mariachi. Well, he there's a there's a it's called Ten Minute Film School. If you want to look it up on YouTube, uh, where he talks about mariachi and he, and he he it's like 14 minutes, but he just talks about here's Ten Minute Film School. This is how I made it, and he does it pretty quick. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So he just shot it in order, basically. Like he just edited in camera. He didn't worry about slates because they didn't record sound at the same time. They shot everything without sound. Yes. And then they would redo everything just with sound, just so he didn't waste film that way. And then it was pretty much matched up pretty pretty quick or pretty easily, you know. Shot it on sixteen millimeter mm. and then transferred it to video. To yeah, because he editing. used the local news station, I believe to edit deck to deck like he had two decks so he had to have it on tape because he couldn't cut film so he transferred yeah. it to film and yeah How so the version you that? saw of el mariachi and that i saw too and which is the only one you can really see maybe they have the original on um youtube is a version of the film that columbia took and spent two hundred thousand dollars to make theatrical so yep, we're definitely transferred seeing, it back to film right so we're definitely seeing a more cleaned up um, cleaned up exactly but the yes. funny thing about the 10 minute film school is that he shows you the raw and it's actually brighter and it looks a little more cleaner because it has it, you don't have the generation loss he's showing you right from the film he shot so there's actually generation loss because he put it on tape loses the generation puts it back on film loses the generation so the the theatrical version of el mariachi is actually not that clean compared mm. to what he originally shot of course so that's kind of interesting. It's a little brighter. It's got more of a contrast to the colors and stuff like that. I mean, I think the important part of these first films is they take a simple concept and make a simple story out of it. And then they add their own creative elements. Yes. Like, you never have anything too convoluted for a director's first big movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he took a simple story and um, made it fly like he made it flashy and exciting and not a lot of people can do that you know so i think he deserved his career you know like it was clear that he stood out right from that movie yeah um, so closing thoughts on the desperado portion of this uh does it hold up as a successful sequel using our rules uh, this is another exception i feel like because i feel like it's more i don't know if it's more but it's a remake as much as it's a sequel. Yeah, so like, does that count? Does that fit our sequel rules? I think this fits the sequel rules because they, even though it's a remake in the terms of there was so much stuff that I couldn't do in this first movie, I want to be able to do them in this movie. And I can do it better. But he also takes heart to continue the story rather than restart it. And so many sequels do that beat for beat i'm like story structures are classic and old and have existed forever um and they repeat that's just what they do and we see that all the time so i say yeah it's cleanly sequel but i think he told the same story that's why it's hard to say it's a successful sequel but we have a lot of movies that do that though the color of money like we were just there oh, and true. that is pretty I much guess you could say that yeah like even though they span it out so it's a generational change and the main characters shift 
it's still them kind of just regurgitating a story and so does that make the color of money not as good of a sequel no it does it does we're not going to rehash that uh we have a character who has clear a clear arc where over the course of the movie he learns to let go of his rage a little and throw his guitar away he does change yeah and he basically gives up the guitar and it just has a funny little aside where he's just like just in case so yeah. I, but I, but I don't think that ruins his change. I do think he grows as a character. So that is one thing that's a success. It's a total story arc where there's a beginning, middle, and end, and there it's a complete ending. That there's no setup for another movie. It could just be done, and we'd mm. be fine with the Desperado. And I thought it was happy life. We all thought it was done. Like we weren't yeah. thinking there'd be another Desperado. I guess. But yeah, that was Desperado, and let's take a quick break, and then we will start on Once Upon a Time. Can I catch everybody up real quick on the previous two movies we just discussed? Yes, please. So we have a man who comes to town, falls in love with a woman that he meets that day, gets mistaken for a guy who carries guns around in his suitcase, loses the woman he loves kills the guy that wait the woman he loves gets killed the woman that he's met for like two days and then he takes the guns from the other guy and he starts killing people that was terrible (laughs) that's that's mostly right man meets woman woman dies man avenges woman yes yeah man meets woman the real man in black kidnapped the woman to go to the drug lord, she get and he get killed by the drug lord when the mariachi shows up to find her, realizes they're dead, takes the man in black's guns, kills the drug lord in revenge. Yes. Yes. And then but the the real point of But he gets his hand shot. That's the most important part, I think. Yeah. One, yeah. he loses a girl, that's important. Gets his hand shot, can't be a mariachi anymore. Where is his life going to go from there? So then we basically repeat that formula in Desperado. Except for the woman doesn't die this time. No. And the guy's his brother. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the guy who was the bigger dude than the first guy. Moko. Yeah. Yeah. More bad. This is Buko. Yeah. Or Bucho. Buko bad. Bucho bad. Sorry. So they're left going off into the sunset together. They are together. Carolina and the mariachi yeah beautiful and we have an established character who will stop at nothing to right some wrongs in his life Mm -hmm. no matter how little he knows the people yeah but at the end of desperado it makes me feel like he's happy now and they're gonna go off and try to live a life in privacy and then just to be funny he goes back and gets the guns and says "Eh, just in case yeah just in case perfect sequel we're done you know what I mean? No need for another one. Oh, we're done. <laughs> we're done. But yeah. if you're a fan of the series, like we were, and wanted to see what happened to the Mariachi next, it was kind of cool and it, that they announced there's going to be a third part to wrap up it as a trilogy called Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and that came out in 2003. Yeah, but they made the mistake when they accidentally hired the cartoon robert rodriguez instead of the actual director robert rodriguez because it's a cartoon movie yeah what's your feeling about this movie do you like it like right off the top do you like this film yes 
but not in any intelligent way yeah in the way if i was five and i was watching a cartoon i really liked that cartoon it didn't have to make sense the plot contrivances could be right there and it's fine the hero wins i mean we'll get into it but i i do think from the outset once upon a time in mexico traded simplistic storytelling with action uh and cleverness (laughs) in the way it was told from the first two movies and tried to pretend it had something to say by having a very convoluted storyline but i think we see beyond that and that it kind of isn't that great uh do you want to play a game yeah we should both try to clearly explain the plot of this movie in one minute or less okay i'll time you you want to go you, first okay i can go second. first Here we go. go the mariachi and his wife are living happily and then they have a baby and then a general kills his wife and baby and he is sad so he starts making guitars um fast forward a few years and a cia agent hires the mariachi to kill a general who just happens to have been the person that killed his wife and daughter because the general has been hired by a drug kingpin to kill the president now in the meantime the cia agent also gets a ex-fbi agent to try and kill the drug lord who uh is trying to overthrow the president the mariachi <laughs> that was a minute damn damn <laughs> all right let me try uh. <laughs> <laughs> i thought i was gonna get through it all and then it just kept going yeah uh does that mean that it's convoluted maybe maybe that's our point <laughs> we've never tried this before yeah. so we'll see and are you ready i'm ready and go let me start by talking about the main character of the film there's a cia agent played by johnny depp who knows the legend of the mariachi and knows that the mariachi's wife and daughter were killed by this uh general so sans johnny depp goes to the mariachi to say hey i want you to kill this general but we're gonna let the general overthrow the president first so the president's dead you kill the general you get revenge on your wife and daughter who were killed. Sound good? So at the same time, Sans... Uh, <laughs> I'm losing it. Why are you laughing? I can't concentrate. You're laughing so hard. Sorry. Um, it's the corona. Yeah. But uh, the drug lord is the one who hires the general to kill the president. So the drug lord's involved. So then Sands goes to this former FBI agent that the drug lord had killed his partner. And he wants, ah, see? That's convoluted. Oh. (laughs) All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, So this, yeah, this movie, um, I really am bothered that he didn't try to get revenge for the killing of his wife, the actual person that he loves, and a freaking child. This guy is a crazy weirdo about just loving some woman he met a week ago, and he's not going to do 10 times worse for his child. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to unwrap in this film. That's the problem, because you're right. My first thought was, 
he he killed the person who killed his first love right in front of him. So he killed the guy that killed her, took revenge on her. And not only that, but then in Desperado, he apparently goes after the big guy. Like, your underling killed my woman. Now I'm going to kill the boss, too. And then he's done after that because he found love. Makes yeah. sense to me. But if his new love and daughter, of all people, get killed, wouldn't he then go after that general? Why didn't he? Was it explained why he didn't? It was never explained I think why so. he didn't. Yeah, but that's where yeah. we start. That's where we start. Like he's making, he's just have... living in the city, and they're making guitars. And I don't know if he makes guitars, but the guitar maker hands him one. Like try it out, you know. It's just kind of a nice little open to the movie. I think. I, I think he was making it. Yeah. And yeah, we see that his hands are kind of healed. Yeah, he's doing better now. Maybe yeah, that's it. Been... Maybe it didn't matter. Maybe he's just like, yeah, my wife and daughter are dead. But I can play guitar again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? I have my first love. So I'm doing okay. You know, the way <laughs> that we clearly... Rich Robert Rodriguez shows masculinity in these first few movies. You could believe it. Yeah, that's disturbing, but... So God, yeah, then we meet kid. we meet Sands, who's John, who's Johnny Depp, and he's basically the plot driver in this whole movie. He's the one that sets up everything, right? He's the one that contacts the mariachi to say, "I need you to kill this general that was hired by this drug lord to take over the president, or to coup on the presidency." Yep, he is basically pulling the strings. But do we have any? Do we know why? Well, I think I do like how he says he equates it to his meal and that it's so good. He's going to go back and kill the chef because I need to keep the balance in this country. So that's what he says. As the CIA in Mexico, he's the one that keeps the balance in the country. And there's unrest with the president. So he's going to let the president get killed but not let the general be installed as the new president. So he wants the mariachi to then kill the general after the general kills the president. I don't know who would be president after that, but apparently that in Sam's mind, mind keeps the balance. That's yeah, where so we're at. And the they, USA is trying to kill a good Mexican president because the USA wants to keep Mexico down. But is he even working for the cia or for the government or is he just working for himself thank you yes yeah. you actively doubt throughout the entire movie that he is actually in the cia right he does call and he talks to somebody on the phone but i don't know who that is necessarily like it's but it seems like it's a counterpart or a superior but i don't know I actually think I would have liked it more if he had solidified that and you would have actually seen another CIA agent yeah. to confirm that he actually was a government agent. Now, they couldn't have made him a former agent just because you already had, well, I guess they could have in this movie because he didn't care how convoluted it was, but you already had the former FBI agent, Ramirez, so it would have been weird if... But I'm just saying that that could have been a nice twist, actually, when you find out that Sands was actually let go from the CIA like years ago or something, you know? But he's just this one-man mission to keep the balance of Mexico. Because, I don't know, because he was stationed there before or something. But that doesn't happen. Yeah, so he hires him. Yeah, so he hires Mariachi, but then he also is playing another side. He starts stalking a former FBI agent right. who seems to be stalking a drug dealer. And he gets the FBI agent to stalk 
the drug dealer more. Yeah, because, be... well, the mariachi, or the general kills the president. The mariachi kills the general. The FBI agent, the former FBI agent, who was Ramirez, would then kill the drug lord who hired the general in the first place. Because the Barillo, who is played by Willem Dafoe, we'll get into that in a moment, uh, <laughs> killed or had his, the FBI's partner killed. So the mariachi should have revenge on the general because he's has a personal connection and the Ramirez, the FBI agent, has a personal connection to the drug lord. So that's how why Sands get, gets both of them involved. Wow, that's actually a really good plan. <laughs> Do I yes. like this movie now? <laughs> so it gets a little more convoluted, but if they left it at that, I might tell you, okay, it's not as confusing as it sounds. But he also gets a, a, a Hadras who's a another or who's an afn uh firearm person right like no drugs and alcohol or something or she she's another agent of some sort no she was a fake one she's not a fake one she's a real one she was in the meeting she was actually in the place trying to get assigned to this thing but it was it was a very brief scene where it was just like she wasn't respected because she's a woman basically do you remember that she's william she's willem defoe's daughter but it's like, did you see The Departed, the Scorsese film with DiCaprio and Matt Damon? No, I don't really like DiCaprio. Oh my god. So, Damon, spoiler alert, DiCaprio is a real FBI agent who is pretending to be a gang member to infiltrate Jack Nicholson's gang. Matt Damon is a real Boston state police officer who's actually, he's a real officer, went through the whole program, is a real officer, but... He's also like Jack Nicholson's like for like son in a way. He went into service in order to help keep his gang boss leader out of prison. Oh, so that's how that works. That's how that whole movie works. So she is the drug lord's daughter, but she is also an agent, which helps the drug lord out in a way. You know what I mean? That's the deal. Uh... But that's the twist that you find out that she's his daughter. But she actually is an agent. Let me just throw that out there. So anyways, he gets the mariachi involved. He gets the FBI agent involved. He gets the AFN agent involved. Like, this is where it gets fucking confusing, you know? And then you gotta, like, tie it all together. And that's where it's just a mess, you know? And then he also has the president's assistant involved. Oh my god, that's right, yeah. So you're right. So there may be a plan for who would take over the presidency. But I don't know if that's necessarily that guy or... or but he's the one that would then handle who's the new president, I guess. Right. So why is the president's assistant involved with the CIA agent who is trying to still have the president die? I guess because maybe he'll be the president. Because or he would then institute or he would put somebody in there that he could control or something. So maybe that's what's in it for him. At the end, that guy, the president's assistant, is with the evil general's troops. Like, yeah. he's with the general. Uh, it's a mess. I don't know, man. It's a mess. And um, then there's also Mickey Rourke. Remember Mickey Rourke? He's in the film, too. Uh, I was So the FBI agent feels that he could get close to the drug lord by putting a mic on the chihuahua of Billy Chambers, who is Mickey Rourke's character, who's just an ex- bad dude from america who's been living in mexico but now he's feeling like he has to do so many untoward things for the drug lord that he's willing to cooperate with the fbi in order to get out of there so then he's involved he is 
and he really doesn't need to be but in some great reviews i've seen on this i think from roger ebert from way back in the day uh it was it was something along the lines of mickey rourke doesn't have enough to do right uh it's time to rehab him for lead man roles already which is never gonna happen. No. It's Mickey Rourke. But it was it was more possible in two thousand three, and then he did the Wrestler, which was an excellent film. So he did have a little bit of a, and he was good in the Sin City movie. You know, I mean, but anybody yeah, could have played that role, I guess. Like as long as he was heavily makeuped, you know what I mean. So it was hard to tell it was really him. Uh, who is the woman in the Wrestler? Uh, Marissa Tomei. The mate Darren Aronofsky. He had to direct. I heard this from someplace else, probably a different podcast, but he had to direct them completely not in the same rooms. Like, yeah. Uh, Cause they absolutely just hated each other. Like the woman hated Mickey Rourke. That doesn't surprise me. Um, and so every scene is like a body double, except for like one where they were supposed to kiss. And I don't even know if they did. Well, that's the thing. Um, in order to be, unfortunately, in order to be, a great actor you got to be a fucking egotistical asshole you know what i mean and i tell you what man i don't know if you watched a lot of mickey rourke but mickey rourke in the 80s and i think most people would agree was amazing i mean he made so many good films and if you haven't seen them but they're not super popular that's the thing but damn was he good i mean he was so good that you have no idea that Mickey Rourke today is that guy. Like, what the fuck happened to that guy? I think he Can started. You give me an example. He was in the Pope of Greenwich Village with uh, Eric Roberts, another actor who you wouldn't expect to be great because Eric Roberts is like, you know, Julia Roberts' brother. He's always hired out for small, you know, he's in every small role thing here and there, every cheap B movie. Yet he does get hired to pop up in big things. Like, he was in The Dark Knight. You know what I mean? Like, he's. But he was amazing in The Pope of Greenwich Village. I think that's what it's called. Um, so he's great in that. Um, he was great in the movie Angel Heart with Robert De Niro, where he plays the detective in Louisiana. You don't have to tell me any anymore. I'm looking at pictures of young Mickey Rourke. Oh, he's beautiful. And he I want to bang young Mickey <laughs> he was Rourke. adorably handsome. <laughs> I can't uh. say enough about how great, in every way, Mickey Rourke was in the 80s. And that's why... He's like Michael Jackson. He just had this change that nobody understands. And they all wish they could get back to the old Mickey Rourke. You know what I mean? Yeah, what happened to him? He started boxing, I think. He started boxing um, and really messed his face up in the 90s because he didn't get a lot of work as an actor anymore because I think he was so fucking difficult. People didn't want to work with him. Right. But he also could have had some failures and that leads into it too. You know, he just doesn't have a bunch of good box office success. We can't get work. And then he starts taking shitty work and then he started boxing and he messed up his face. And then I think he got a lot of plastic surgery to try to fix it. So he just doesn't look like the same person anymore. Anyway, uh, I agree with Roger Ebert in that to try to rehab Mickey Rourke's career, you might've wanted to give him a little more to do than just this role. Cause it's pretty lame. Yeah. It's really just a guy that loves a dog. Something I just want to mention again where Robert Rodriguez does not care about recycling actors and putting them in different roles, even in the same universe. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts there? Did it bother you that these people kept popping up? Uh, well, there's Danny Trejo, 
Cheech Marin. Cheech Marin. Yeah, they pop up in different roles. It's um, uh, it's okay. I mean, it didn't it didn't really bother me. Mostly because they were always used. Those two actors, at least, were always used. They're just side characters, anyways. You know. But if you had somebody, I don't know the whole. I mean, Desperado starts up with a new actor, anyways. <laughs> so I guess you had to get used to that. So maybe it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, maybe that's the big thing that makes you get past it. Yeah. Um, and then, what are your thoughts on Willem Dafoe in? What, how do, what do you call it? Brown face. Brown face. Yeah, totally. Um, Brown face. I don't think it would fly nowadays, just because they wouldn't let him do that. But uh, even in two thousand three, I think it was a little off. But at the same time, a little off. But if it's written and directed by a Mexican American, I mean, who's going to tell him no if he wants to cast a white actor as a Mexican? If you're a white director and you want to cast a white dude as a Mexican, that's a problem. But if you are a Mexican American and you want to do it, uh, I, guess I feel you, like I guess you, you can. <laughs> he shouldn't have been allowed to work anymore. But like it was Rodriguez's be... decision, right? So I, it's I don't know why you do that, but you know what? I like Willem Dafoe. He's pretty awesome. I think he got the role because of um, Crazy at Heart, though. Did you ever see that that David Lynch film with uh, Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern? Oh no! Oh yeah, because uh, I mean Defoe in that movie, he has got these awful fake teeth. He's so disgusting in that film, and he has this crazy scene with Laura Dern where he's telling her, like, just tell me to fuck, say fuck me, say fuck. It's the most uncomfortable scene, and it goes on for, like, five minutes. And she's young Laura Dern, you know? This is, like, it's really, really awkward. Anyway. What are you talking about? (laughs) Isn't that what the movie is? It might not have the right movie. Crazy. Wild at Heart? Wild at Heart. Sorry, I keep saying Crazy at Heart. Wild at Heart. Dave Lynch film. In the 13 years between Wild at Heart and... Once upon a time in Mexico, we've got we've got the English pace patient. We've got Speed Two. We've got Existence. Yeah, we got the Boondock Saints. I heard Existence was actually pretty good. We have American Psycho. We have Spider Man, and the man has already been the Green Goblin. Yeah, Finding Nemo. So what's your point that he? he... That might not have been the one specific movie where... No, I, I, I think no matter how many movies you do, there's always that one role that sticks with other directors. And they say, well, that's why I hired you, because you, you're awesome in that movie. I want you for this. Anyway, this movie, though, has a brown-faced uh, character. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to that. This plot is happening. This crazy plot with all these characters interacting. And we have just a couple of little pieces that get tweaked. Yeah. We add in a face change operation mm. for Willem Dafoe's character. And then we add in Danny Trejo. I can't pronounce what his name is. but And another little thing is that Danny Trejo, he switches sides. Yes, for some reason. Because he was in the employ of Johnny Depp's, was it Sergeant Sands? Not Sergeant. Not Sergeant, just Agent Sands. Agent Sands? Yeah. Um, Sheldon Jeffrey Sands. Now, at some point, it's Johnny Depp's character and then the president's assistant at like a bullfight. Yep. They are paying this guy a bribe. Yep. <laughs> and they pay him the bribe by betting on the bullfight. And then did they kill the bull or did they kill the Oh, they they did something to the guy. Yeah, they like had some electric collar or something on him, right? That made him like, Gee! and then he got, and then he wasn't able to get out of the way or something. So then the bull was able to gore him. 
Yep, and the bull, Gordon. Yeah. But they always kill the bull, um, don't they? At bullfights, that's why people don't like bullfights. And they always beat up the bull beforehand. Yeah, they never like a bull that's at full shit. health. Yeah. It's yeah. not cool. God, I feel like we learned that in high school, and that's the only reason we know that. Yeah, but like Hemingway, you know, he like romanticized bullfighting and everything. So everybody, I think, was in love with it, but it was just out of place in the 20th century. And, and we're all coming around, at least in the past 50 years or so, to be like, eh, it's kind of cruelty to animals. So we, we, we got we got the whole idea that like Sands is the person pulling all the strings and you got the mariachi involved, you got the FBI agent involved. Eva Mendez plays uh, another agent, which he wants to tail the drug lord, whatever. So it all comes together because go. So they really get into this final battle. And for the final battle, uh, the mariachi somehow has made more friends that are also mariachis. Yeah, he always has two killers. dudes that he has run ran around with, both as musicians and as killer guns for hire i guess and so they come and they help him and we get the zaniest uh guitar case antics that you could have ever wanted uh we had in this movie we have what we have remote control with a bomb in it yeah guitar case control rc car or something uh we had a rocket launcher there's a rocket launcher in desperado though right yeah, I know, but they just kind of continued. Yeah. Uh, they had the flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the guitars themselves. Did I already say the guitars themselves that actually were guns? Yeah, right. Yeah, because um, that was the story off the top that Cheech Marin was telling, right? Yes. Yeah, and he was talking about how... But even then, he was mentioning how a legend becomes exaggerated, you know? because the mariachi had the electric guitar which i actually like seeing that it was electric guitar because i was like well that's new like he's he's yeah he's up in his game he's not gonna you know acoustic the whole time and then of course it worked like a shotgun and he was blasting people and but that was you know that was a nice action scene so anyway yeah so his friends somehow come and help him yep and but they're also there to play a show too you know, for the president. That's cool. So they are back in business of being a mariachi. Or... That was just a cover, though. Yeah, I know. But still, it's not like Banderas it can play way. again. So I was happy for him in that respect. It's true. Yeah. You know, he did recover his soul. Uh, but um, so their job, they are not going to do the CIA plan. Yeah. Because they yeah, find he's... out that the president, they realize he's a nice guy. They realize it's a good president and that it's America trying to bring Mexico down. And so uh, they decide to defend the president. Mm -hmm. And then Mickey Rourke and Ramirez, uh, they go after Willem Dafoe. Mm -hmm. Barillo, who's Willem Dafoe, gets his face changed because I guess he's just going to go on the lam and be happy with the fact that he overthrew the government, right? But, like, he was the puppet master that overthrew the government, and he was just going to leave, but he couldn't get out of there in time before the FBI agent, Billy Chambers, like, confronted him. But Mickey Rourke's character dies, and and then the FBI agent kills Barillo, right? Yes, but before they kill Barillo, Eva Mendes... (laughs) 
Even. My God, this plot is so good. Yeah, they kidnap Sans, or they yeah they kidnap Johnny Depp. Yeah, because he realized they, that his plan is compromised, and they pluck out his eyes. Yeah, and why? I because why would they gonna, just kill him? Because of the plot, and they just wanted to be mean. Yeah, they're just. I guess that makes them just Bad sycophants villains. or whatever. It just makes them like villainous more than just gangsters. That they just do something to be cruel. So I guess I'll go with that. But him getting his eyes popped out and then having to use this young boy to help him know where to shoot. That's pure just, I don't know, that just... He had superpowers. Yeah, just for the action aspects. They thought it looked cool. But it has nothing to do with anything, really. But yeah, it was ridiculous. And Um, it did look cool. And it was, of course, the iconic imagery for the poster. And everything you knew about this movie is Johnny Depp with blood in his face wearing sunglasses and shooting, I guess. It reminded me of The Crow. Yes, right. Yeah, it was kind of that face paint in a way. But yeah, he takes on uh, Ava Mendes and he, with his superpowers, he's able to take her down. He basically becomes Daredevil in those moments. His other senses are heightened. (laughs) It's true. Yep, and he's able to kill her. So he survives, although I don't know for how much longer, but he's, he's still alive. I mean, the bleeding seemed like it was under control. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so everybody so. gets killed. The FBI agent goes off to know that his partner's been avenged. Yep. Um, the mariachis all survive. And they actually take the money that was intended for the general. It was his payment to overthrow the president. So the president leaves with the mariachis. And, yeah, Enrique and... Enrique Marco. Iglesias, of all people. Enrique yeah. Iglesias. But he's good in it. I like him. He's cute, you know. So he works. Oh, out. yeah, he was really good. <laughs> and I like the other guy that he was playing, like, just a drunk, you know. He was a fun... It was a different way of doing the mariachis, you know. They kept their portion of the money. And then the mariachi, he gives his money to his hometown, I guess. Yeah, I guess. It uh, just shows him with the money flying around in a street and... Yes. kids taking it i think it was one of the internet sites that said it was his hometown and he walks away in the sunset with the wearing mexican flag the, wearing the mexican flag which is nice can you, i thought that was cool yeah, that was cool but can you imagine hitchhiker yeah a hitchhiker in 2003 walking down the street and he's wearing a sash with the american flag on it do you pick up a man wearing an American flag? I don't think he's looking for a ride. He's not a hitchhiker. He just happens to be walking the road. <laughs> he doesn't know where he's going to end up. So he's not, that's he's not coming. All right. So that's basically the movie. If anyone was able to follow that, I don't know. But that's basically the film. where this everybody might be gets, our worst episode. Everybody gets hired by one dude to overthrow Mexico. Um, and it all turns out okay because the mariachi is there to right the wrong. And he fe- So here's my thought is that the first movie is about mistaken identity. The second movie is about revenge. And this movie is about the mariachi realizing it's bigger than him. It's about his country. This is what he does. In the third movie, he fights for Mexico. So that's what these movies are about. And that's okay with me. I like that. But it just had a very convoluted plot. And what I wanted to get back to is that we kind of, in our best way, explained the movie. But at the same time, we left out so many things. Like, Salma Hayek's character, Carolina. What do you think about her in the film? 
and what Rodriguez decided to do with her character. In a way, she doesn't count, and in a way, she counts. Yeah. Um, because they turned her into a proper female superhero, and she would have... Those two in action, the way they were presented in those flashbacks, would have been ten times better of a movie than this. Absolutely, those... yeah. <laughs> I just, when I was thinking of when I knew we were going to do this film, I was thinking after watching it, I was like, well, this is the way the movie should have went. And I'll just try to sum it up, but I'm thinking like, okay, I like the president. I like the Mexico. I like that it's about Mexico and he has to save the country. I'm cool with that. That's great. Um, but I think it they shouldn't have killed her. They should have been the present. Like Carolina and the mariachi should have been the team that gets hired to kill the general after he overthrows the president. Like all that can happen, but they could have left out the FBI agent. We don't need him. They could have left out Eva Mendes. We don't need her. They could have left out Mickey Rourke. We don't need that character. They could have left out Danny Trejo. We don't even need him. It could have all been about him fighting for Mexico alongside his woman, who was just as mariachi-ish. And then they realize the president is a good person, and then they fight for him, and they save the country. Like, that should have been the movie. I think. Oh yeah. Easy, easy adjustment. Are you ready? Cause you already kind of did it and your pitch is almost perfect. Sorry, go ahead. Johnny, Johnny Depp walks into their beautiful country home, says, I have your daughter. Uh, you guys have to do this. There you go. Or she dead. And then he walks his ass out. And I boom. like that even better. I didn't even think about that portion. That gives them a reason to do it against their will. And I like that. And then even after they save the daughter halfway through, they keep on with the mission. So for, for Mexico. Exactly. So do we keep the drug lord thing? I mean, does Willem Dafoe have any place in here? I guess yeah, he does. I, I still think it's okay that he was the puppet master behind the general overthrowing. So I think that could work, but you may have to recast him. Uh, <laughs> we might have to recast him. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think um, that that would have been a better film. I think he should have kept it simple. That's all. Yeah. this There's such a good movie in here somewhere. And I think that's the story over and over with a lot of his movies after this. Like, just jam-packed with nonsense. So jam-packed with nonsense that they can make spin-offs like Machete and Machete mm -hmm. Kills from Spy Kids. Yeah. Like style over substance you know it's that and, it's that problem and he's doing it again they recast shark boy for the new shark boy and lava girl movie yeah because uh, i think it was like taylor lautner before i have no idea i don't know some young well, man that was because they all grew up and they don't look like they're not kids anymore so you had to get different spy kids i guess that made might have made sense but also like alita this movie feels like empire strikes back mm-hmm and it's kind of that same feeling of it's overflowing with characters and scenery and storylines yeah. all happening. And if there had been a first movie for Alita to really just explain some of that stuff a little more slowly and build up the world, yeah. people probably would have liked it more. Yeah. Well, he may have had, um, that might be a better film than this 
you know, it's hard to compare the two. I don't know. Maybe it's not for you. But maybe Alita is a better film because he had someone like James Cameron who could tame him and say, I know you got all these ideas, but let me tell you, I have experience with this. This is how you make things work. Because he was pretty convoluted. Well, he wasn't really convoluted with the Avatar. He had a lot going on in that world building too, but he kept it pretty simple, you know? Oh yeah, that was cut and dry. Yeah. So maybe and, that's... I, maybe that helped. And I think for Once Upon a Time in Mexico, nobody told him what to do. <laughs> he just had everything and he wanted to throw it all in together. And that's why it failed. Yeah. Yeah. Quality wise, it failed. Yeah. I mean, money, Not, sure. But we don't yeah, look back on it fondly. He's still rolling it. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. You know? It is a little sad. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, though, with the film is um, what I love about it. Um, and I think about this often. For some reason, because I think it actually has an amazing ending. It has a really memorable ending to me, and it's very bittersweet. And this only works because Salma Hayek is dead, and that you only see her in flashbacks, and that he lost this woman he loved. And that at the very end, if you remember, he's thinking about her, and she asks, what do you want in life? And he says, to be free. And she says, simple. And he says no and that's it you know it's this very heart-wrenching moment where she's already gone you know and it's kind of sums up his life as a mariachi where he just wants to be free and he can't be there's always somebody trying to kill his good time basically so i really like that and i always like that part of it um and that was really the only part of the movie i remembered <laughs> before watching it again it was the most memorable part to me yeah, that didn't have the same meaning for me. What really struck out for me at the end of the movie was that not only did this bad general kill his wife and child yeah. and did nothing about it, yeah. the guy also took a necklace off of his wife's dead body and was still wearing it to that day. Right. Well, he loved her. But I don't know where that relationship came in. <laughs> at what point was she with the general was it before desperado did they have a break after desperado and she hooked up with the general for a while and then got back with the mariachi i don't really understand yeah he did go off to you know be a street racer for a while or whatever han solo did <laughs> in between their loving relationship and him yeah running out on so them. that was another thing there's more to this there's so much more to this okay the other thing that bothered me is that from what I've been reading about the inception of this film for Rodriguez is that it was never a passion project for him. And he just threw it together because he was more excited about shooting the new spy kids too, with digital technology that Lucas has just showed him, but he didn't have time to do it because there was going to be a writer's strike. So he was like, well, I really want to work hard on that one and I don't want to half ass it. So I can't do that before the strike. But I can whip up a sequel to Desperado in six days if you want to just shoot that fucking fast on digital. That'll be cool. And they were like, sure, it's $29 million. And he literally wrote it in like a weekend. And they let him make it. But that pissed me off. I was like, I think this movie, no offense, I didn't see Spy Kids. But I just feel like this is a little more cooler and adult than fucking Spy Kids. But you were so excited about Spy Kids that you half-assed this movie? It's really where he went yeah. after this. Is His legacy is making a... I don't think his legacy is 
are the movies that we're talking about. And I think the only reason we think of him like we do is because of our childhood 10 years later and he's a family director like he is yeah right ensconced ensconced in family movies pretty I, much non-stop i love that word i don't know if that's oh, a word or even the right usage but we're gonna go i doubt it, it is <laughs> me no smart uh, I, you know that doesn't it bothered me when i was not a family man you know because i just think everybody should be cool all the time like it bothered me when i found out like rock stars had kids you know and i was like what you're not supposed to be tied down you know but now i don't obviously don't give a shit people grow up they want to do that i think it's a testament to him as a filmmaker that he can make any kind of film he wants i think that's cool and he's definitely had some success with it but if he's just making kids shit after that because it's successful that kind of bothers me and that's a little bit like tim burton like he made successful disney movies so it kind of feels like that's all he's doing now you know well, that's too easy. Why don't you try try to go back to the hard stuff, you know? Fail sometimes. My opinion on him is that he might be great because Alita Battle Angel was amazing. Okay. Yeah. What else can we talk about with this movie? Anything else? Oh, uh, yeah, I have one more thing. One more thing. Uh, Johnny Depp. Um, I, I thought this came out before Pirates of the Caribbean, but Pirates of the Caribbean apparently came out in the summer, and this was like late summer. Um, oh. But I do think this was the point where um, Depp had overstayed his welcome as far as playing these kind of characters. So I think it was a good thing he could then rely on Jack Sparrow because that fit where he was going. Because it kind of took him out of the modern, like his modern craziness. Uh, it took him and put him in the pirate world. So I think that worked, you know, for a couple years after that. But yeah, this one is where... He's too deppish, and I think we all got tired of it afterwards. Because he was so good. I mean, he was beloved. Like, he could do no wrong in the 90s, you know? And Sleepy Hollow was great. And then there might have been a movie or two after that where he was, you know, deppish, and people thought it was, you know, outside the norm, and they loved him. And then he did this, and it was just like, oh, God, this is just too much. All right, so I think that wraps us up for our episode on the... What are these? What's the trilogy the again? Mexico the Mexico trilogy is what the Mexico trilogy. As. Desperado, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or Once Upon a Time in Mexico. <laughs> and yeah. this might be good timing because it sounds like somebody is vacuuming in the hallway. Yeah, what the hell is going on out there? Yeah, this audio might not even be workable after no, after this good. point. Okay, this is Aaron saying bye bye. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Justin reminding you to rate, review, and subscribe. Bye. Bye. bye.